0: You're listening to the Douglas Jacobi Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you are challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas is continuing his series on Old Testament characters, now discussing the life of Saul. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. This is Old Testament Premium Podcast number 28 on Saul. We encounter this man, who will soon become the first king in Israel, in 1 Samuel chapter 9, and he is outwardly very impressive. Verse 2, And Kish had a son whose name was Saul, or technically Shaul, that's the Hebrew name, a choice and handsome man, and there was not a more handsome person than he among the sons of Israel. From his shoulders and up, he was taller than any of the people of Israel." What is pointed out here is a physical characteristic, actually two, one is height, the other his good looks. Not that that's uh, morally commendable, but that seems to be one of the outstanding characteristics of Saul. He's tall, from the shoulders up. He's taller than anyone else, presumably from the shoulders down he's also taller, otherwise he'd look very funny, wouldn't he? Anyway, we read that he was outwardly impressive and But perhaps not not really a a natural leader. And yet he's changed by the Spirit of God in chapter 10. Particularly verse 6 and verse 9 and following. says the Spirit comes on him and becomes a different person. So he has a great opportunity. And yet, I think the story is familiar. When they're uh, about to make it public and official. That is the coronation. He's hiding. He's reluctant to lead, 10.22. But worse... And this strikes at the heart of the matter because it strikes at the heart of Saul. This man had a disrespect for God's Word. God's Word is mediated mediated through the law, that is the Old Testament law, the Torah, through the Pentateuch, but also through the prophet Samuel. So I'd like to read a couple of excerpts. One is in 1 Samuel 13. And Saul has only been a king, really just a matter of days. And Samuel was very clear, wait until I come, and then... Uh, we will uh, make this burnt offering, this sacrifice, and, and with it, God will bless us and the army. Well, the army's starting to scatter. Saul is feeling nervous. He's, uh, he's disobeyed Samuel. 13.10 Just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet and welcome him. But Samuel said, What is this you've done? Saul replied, I, I saw my men scattering from me. And you, you didn't arrive when you said you would uh, and the Philistines are at Michmash ready for battle. So I said uh, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal and I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. You notice just how many excuses this guy is making, the army's melting away from him. It's Samuel's fault for not arriving when he said he would. The enemy forces are congregating, and he's so spiritual. I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. Well, the prophet Samuel is not about to stand for this. How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. And so we see Saul uh, first disobeying the word of the Lord, second rationalizing it, and thirdly may add spiritualizing it, really trying to make it uh, look good and blame shifting and uh, as a result. What could have been his, that was that his sons and grandsons would have been the kings, there would have been a whole dynasty, um, is now lost. And another famous example is two chapters later. In chapter 15, Saul was told to do a, a very specific mission, he and his army, but they did it. And it has to do with the Amalekites. It says in verse 10, Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me, and has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him, Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. And then he went on to Gilgal. So in here in chapter 15, after flagrant disobedience, the Lord says to Samuel, he's sorry he made him king, but look how Samuel reacts. He's deeply moved, he's praying, he's crying out to the Lord all night. Samuel really cared about Saul, and even though he knew two chapters earlier that he stood under God's judgment, he still cared. He didn't write him off completely in, in some kind of an emotional way. So he goes to seek Saul, who unfortunately has set up a monument to himself. You know, I think it's normally to the next generation to erect a monument. Uh, it, it's, it's after you, you've You've died, but Saul erects it to himself. At least that's what this translation says, the New Living Translation. Well, Samuel catches up with him. Finally, he finds him. Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out the Lord's command. Of course, uh, he he hasn't. If you know the story of the Amalekites, uh, he and the soldiers have not carried out the Lord's commands. And he's starting to rationalize and explain and then Samuel says to Saul, Stop! Listen to what the Lord told me last night. Oh, uh, what did he tell you? Saul asked. And Samuel told him, Although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission. And then, Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? Now again, we see the pattern in Saul, he's just not able to take a challenge, a little bit like Cain, but I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted, I carried out the mission he gave me. And of course, he twists the words. Samuel replies, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So, because you've rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Well, Samuel gives him here some explanation and some challenge and a little bit of theology. And uh, Saul does not refuse to back down. His heart isn't really changed, unlike his uh, successor, the second king, who really does know how to take a challenge. Saul can't take a challenge. So he admits. But please notice the worldly sorrow, Second Corinthians uh, 7, would be a good reference there, uh, in what he says. I'm um, In 1524. Then Saul admitted to Samuel, Yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command. For I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. But now... Please forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel replied, I will not go back with you. Since you have rejected the Lord's command, he's rejected you as king of Israel. And Samuel turned to go. Saul tried to hold him back and tore the hem of his robe. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to someone else, one who is better than you. And he who is the glory of Israel will not lie, nor will he change his mind for he is not human, that he should change his mind. Then Saul pleaded again, I know I have sinned, but please at least honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel by coming back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. Well, he persuades Samuel. It looks like it's against Samuel's better judgment, but Samuel, as we saw in the previous podcast, does struggle with sentimentality. So Samuel finally agreed and went back with him, and Saul worshipped the Lord, and then the very end of the chapter, then Samuel went home to Ramah and Saul returned to his house at Gibeah of Saul. Samuel never went to meet with Saul again, but he mourned constantly for him. And the Lord was sorry he had ever made Saul king of Israel. What a fellow! This king, the king for whom the people clamored, chapter 8, has a chance to lead. He certainly has what it takes externally, physically, but how about internally? Apparently not. And yet he's changed by the Spirit of God. He's given every opportunity. Chapter 10. Yet he's still reluctant to lead. 10.22. Worse, we see his disrespect for the Word of God here in chapters 13 and 15. Let me add a few more things. Sadly, with with this particular character, it's... It's mainly negative. Uh, There's some verses you could interpret in a more positive way. For example, when Saul comes under, under criticism and he doesn't deal with the criticism, but I'm not sure, actually, myself, whether that's meant to be a positive or a negative. This man is phenomenally legalistic. In the battle scene where he had committed the troops to fasting, his son Jonathan knew nothing about it. And his son finds the honey in the forest and his eyes brighten and he's able to to be very successful in the battle. And Saul is actually willing to execute his own son who never heard about his father's silly rule. So talk about legalism. He's concerned with how he looks to others more than he is with actually obeying God, as we saw in chapter 15. This poor man is emotionally troubled. An evil spirit from God comes to him. He needs therapy, music therapy in this case, which is provided by David. Most, uh, I think, commentators would assume that That uh, Saul was psychologically troubled, if not insane. In the face of the enemy, Goliath specifically, and the Philistine army, in chapter 17, Saul is paralyzed. He's insecure and jealous, and he plays out this jealousy and insecurity in violent ways, chapter 18. He experiences the supernatural, that is, the spirit falls upon him, and he prophesies, chapter 19. And yet, he's in a state of rebellion against God. And as has been pointed out, uh, just because someone does a miracle doesn't mean that person's right with God. The fact that Saul prophesies, that's the end of chapter 19, doesn't prove that he's saved. He has a temper, not just a temper, which he exhibits uh, towards his son Jonathan, uh, towards his rival, but even to the priests at Nob, the priestly village uh, up on the Mount of Olives, he's brutal. He slaughters them. Uh, he's, uh, He's a bloodthirsty person. He can only parody repentance. That is, in chapters 24 and 26, twice, David does. Uh, David has an opportunity, though he doesn't take it, of uh, doing, it, doing Saul in. And Saul realizes each time that David's more righteous than, than he is. And he says some of the right words. This is Saul's talent. He, he can say the words, but it doesn't necessarily correspond to an inner change of heart, nor to any change in his personal conduct or policy. Sadly, we could say the same of some politicians. Saul is out of touch with the Word of God. He's out of touch with God himself. And finally, separated from Samuel, and God no longer responding uh, to his appeal, he resorts to witchcraft. He wants to uh, contact Samuel, although Samuel is dead. And so Saul goes to the witch of Endor, chapter 28. And uh, the irony, part of the irony of this is that Saul himself had expelled all the witches uh, from uh, uh, Israel. And that's, in fact, uh, what the law says. There should be no witchcraft. And Saul himself is the one who had expelled them, and yet he's going to them. I guess it's a little bit like someone who who blocks certain channels on his television because he knows they're not good, then he unblocks them for his own benefit. I mean, he's going back on his own word. You know, he tells the family, that we're all going to get up at this time and pray, and then he oversleeps, or he expects others to do it, but he's the exception. Obviously, we could all have a bit of Saul in us. None of us is totally consistent. We'll go back on our word. We don't always keep our word when it hurts. But with Saul, this wasn't just an occasional relapse or you know, what we would say, human weakness, uh, the weakness of the flesh. It seems to be a deep and ingrained pattern. He's almost incapable, it seems, of acknowledging the truth, except with words. As we know the story, uh, Samuel had told him, you'll be coming to the underworld tomorrow. He dies uh, in battle against the Philistines on Mount Gilboa. And that's in 1 Samuel 31, the last chapter of First Samuel. David makes great mourning over him in 2 Samuel 1. And we'll talk more about that in the podcast on David. Well, to sum up, Saul was potentially a great man. He certainly was great physically, as in large. And yet he had fatal, fatal character defects. So many opportunities to grow and to change. I mean, we're all raw stuff, raw material when we become Christians. We don't have to become perfect before we Uh, are saved by faith through repentance and baptism. God cleanses us, gives us a new start, and we take it from there. And His Spirit gives us opportunity to change, to be stronger. And Saul has multiple opportunities and many encounters with men of God in this cycle. But he doesn't take advantage of those opportunities. He could not take input, despite his ability to respond humbly, at least it seems so, under duress. I find no real evidence of spirituality. This man is nothing like David. Though David was far from perfect, he was able to rebound, and he did respect the Word of God. Now, for a stunning contrast, and I would recommend um, that as you go over the notes that accompany this podcast, uh, take uh, some time to compare and contrast the life of Saul with the life of Saul. What do I mean? King Saul of the tribe of Benjamin with uh, Saul of Tarsus, who of course is also the tribe of Benjamin. One has a meteoric fall. He's only a king in a week week, and he's already disobeying and and it's all falling apart. Contrast that with the life of Saul of Tarsus, otherwise known as the Apostle Paul, who has a meteoric rise to leadership. Uh, They really couldn't be uh, farther apart. Um, Pulls apart spiritually This podcast also contains as normal Key verses, material for children In fact, a lot of material for children In this particular one If you want to use it for family lessons, devotionals But as always, the most important part Is the theology Especially what we learn about God Well, there are four things That I see, and I'm sure you can find more But first God's Spirit can change Even an unworthy leader into a godly man. Now, I didn't say that Saul took advantage of that. But in chapter 10, when the Spirit comes on him and he becomes a different person, he's, he's on the way. And for all we can tell there, the trajectory is pretty good. God's Spirit can change an unworthy leader and make him into something second. However, his Spirit, God's Spirit, will never force anyone against his will. Now, I think that's very important. Uh, it, it's not an acceptable excuse to say, well, the devil made me do it. But neither is it acceptable to say, well, if God wanted me to do it, he would have made me do it. It doesn't work that way. God's spirit never overpowers us. We always have a choice. Thirdly, God will often leave an unworthy leader in his position of leadership far past the time when we would have thought he must go. Now, obviously, we see this in the secular world. Right now, I'm thinking of a a couple of dictators around the world who should have resigned uh, decades ago. Uh, and, and why are they still there? Well, the answer is a bit complicated. But the point here is quite simple God may leave even uh, someone in a spiritual office uh, who's unworthy. He may leave him there way past the time when he should have stopped leading. Though we may think the man to be ungodly, he may well be, we're to remain respectful. And never take the law into our own hands. And in this respect, David is a model follower. And fourth, we are never to attempt to cross the boundary between the living and the dead. Remember what Saul did. He, he basically resorted to sorcery, to necromancy, to contact the dead. I've met a number of people who have been involved at some point in a seance or witchcraft Uh, you know the occult we're never to do that that is a perilous boundary to cross and both testaments condemn it Uh, quickly summing up the four insights about god god's spirit can change even an unworthy person and give him the opportunity to be godly however number two his spirit will never force us against our will we always have a choice three god will often leave an unworthy leader in leadership uh, for a time much longer than what we would think is right and we're to remain respectful and not take the law into our own hands. And for we we're never to attempt to cross the boundary between the living and the dead. We hope you enjoyed Douglas's teaching on Saul. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas' website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber, gaining access to thousands of online resources from Douglas's teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.